Hello again, and welcome to this week's episode of Knowing God with Heart and Mind. This is our virtual church classroom where we gather together each week to study the tenets of the faith in Jesus Christ, the things that make us Christian and how that's unique. We study scripture together, and as we are now doing, we study a a course of study in doctrine. The doctrines of the Christian faith, as outlined in the Nicene Creed, we're using a material uh, called Christian Believer, written by J. Ellsworth Callis and produced by Cokesbury, as a general guide, although there's quite a bit of it that just comes out of my head from being a facilitator for this course over numerous occasions in the last 20 years. In any case, I'm Pastor Dan, and it is my privilege to join you each week with this study and uh, to help you to enhance your Christian living, but uh, by no means to replace your involvement in a healthy local church. So I do encourage you to continue to be active in your local church and to use this as another means of God's grace. We are in the 16th lesson of our 32-week study, and uh, this week's topic is faith, or the reach toward God. Before we begin, let's take a quick look around at things in Jasper, Indiana. Here in southwest Indiana, of course, the trick-or-treaters have come and gone, and uh, the fall weather is starting to really give way to uh, that uh, sort of precursor to winter that is the the treeless, uh, uh, the treeless, the leafless trees. How's that? And uh, that. That gave inspiration, by the way, to my beautiful bride. You know, I've been trying for several months now to figure out how to replace that uh, that storyline that I had developed around my former home that I called Parsons Prairie, and, and I just haven't been able to find a good nickname for where we are. But my beautiful bride has, in fact, come up with what I think is the best nickname for this place where we live. I've often described the wooded lot that we live on and the the fact that we're right on the edge of the Hoosier National Forest, and uh, it just uh, has been such a blessing to us after living on the prairie for several years to have beautiful trees surrounding our home. And my wife pointed out to me that we have, in fact, among the trees, nine oak trees, And she said, so why not call this place Nine Oaks? And the more I thought about it, the more I liked it. So uh, this little segment of our time together might be better described then as uh, life under the Nine Oaks here in southwest Indiana. So here under the Nine Oaks, we are raking leaves, lots and lots of leaves. And at least this year, we don't mind too much because it's kind of nice to have that problem after so long of not having any leaves or shade or any kind of, of uh, shelter from trees. So uh, right now, it seems kind of fun. I'm sure we'll get tired of it over the years. But uh, in any event, it's it's a beautiful time of the year because there is a smell that those uh, fallen leaves give off that is sort of pleasant right up until it starts triggering your allergies and uh, 
it's also just a, a, a time of year when people are burning wood in their fireplaces. Well, in fact, you can hear my fireplace going in the background here in the Parsons Prairie. Nope, I slipped up, used the old name here at the Nine Oaks. We have a beautiful basement with a fireplace in it that has provided us with warmth in the evenings. And uh, so there's the crackling of the fire in the background to give us uh, a little added warmth here in the basement. So the furnace doesn't run quite so much. And so we can enjoy the golden flames and the smell of the burning hickory. And uh, that's what's going on around here right now. Thankfully, there's not much to talk about. Yes, uh, there was another terrorist incident now in New York City, and we join with America in praying over that and uh, continuing to ask Jesus to come quickly. But in the meantime, we live as people of faith, and faith is our topic today. The writer of the letter to the Hebrews says, Without faith it is impossible to please God. For whatever whoever would approach God must believe that God exists and that God rewards those who seek God. Let me reread that. Without faith it is impossible to please God. For whoever would approach God must believe that God exists and that God rewards those who seek God. So, stumbling and stammering through, and yet here is, the, here is the word for today. What is faith? How do we reach toward God in a way that pleases God? How in the world are we supposed to have the kind of faith that pleases God? That's a tough order to fill, I think. And... Uh, I guess the first thing we have to do is kind of get a handle on the name, or the word rather, faith. Uh, faith is, is, um, is a lot like courage, really. It's, um, it's something you do even though you're not sure you should, let's say. Um, if you've never ridden in an elevator before, then it will take an enormous amount of courage for you to get onto an elevator because... If you understand what's about to happen to you, it's easy, especially in a high-rise building, to be frightened at the prospect that a wire is going to lift the little box you're standing in hundreds of feet into the air and then let you out upstairs somewhere. So it takes a lot of faith. It takes faith to crawl into your car and uh, start the engine and drive across town and believe that that uh, it will deliver you safely to your destination, and should something happen, it will protect you from harm. It takes faith to get on an airplane and sit in the back seat and let someone determine your fate for the next several hours as you fly over the oceans or the lands. It takes a lot of faith to experience most things in life, even to go under the knife for a surgery or to take a pill or whatever. And there are times when our blind faith is rewarded with uh, the consequences of deceit, you know, or put it another way, sometimes we have faith in people and, and institutions and then we're let down by them in a way that defeats our trust. And so in the end, faith is, is, uh, is a natural part of every day of our lives, but faith in God seems different, doesn't it? It seems more 
uh, uh, subjective or more out there. You know, I mean, it's one thing to have uh, faith in in uh, a bridge or or a person or something, but it's another thing altogether to have faith in something that seems entirely invisible and that can be. Uh, written off as irrelevant, and uh, that that's that's tough, and yet we're under the impression that what the Hebrews writer wants us to do is please God by putting all of our faith in God anyway. And so then we get into the scripture readings that we have uh, done for this week, and we get pictures of faith. Um, you know, faith is less. Uh, difficult to describe if we've got word pictures that we can use for examples, and yet those pictures will leave us wanting. So, how do we get our minds around it? Well, a combination, I suppose. Uh, For example, when you read in the book of Genesis about the story of Cain and Abel, you hear that uh, one's faith was superior to the other. And what's really fascinating is the one who had superior faith ended up getting murdered for it. So, uh, if faith pleases God, then why did uh, Abel get murdered? How does that work anyway? And what was so wrong with the way that Cain expressed Cain's faith in God and uh, his attempt to uh, placate God or to sacrifice to God? And uh, then we move on to later in Genesis in chapter 12, we have the story of Abram. And uh, what does Abram do? He is often referred to in, in uh, uh, religious circles among Christians, Christians and Jews as the father of faith. And he gets that name because in so many cases he has responded to God's call with absolute determination to do as God has instructed him. And that's that's a pretty remarkable ability when he's commanded by God to take his whole family, all of his wealth, everything he has, and leave the secure confines of his home country and go to a foreign place uh, where he may not be welcome, where the environment may, environment may be hostile. He goes anyway. And even after he and his wife have waited for decades and decades to finally have a child, when God commands him to kill his own child as a sacrifice, Abraham is... is now being called Abraham, is willing to obey God. And uh, so his faith is pretty remarkable. And, and what does his faith look like, and how do we model it? I mean, seriously, we go through these stories in the Old Testament with the impression that God speaks plainly, that God comes and visually is seen standing before these people giving them instruction. But now in the story of Abraham, we begin to get a sense that God isn't as physically present as much as Abraham is present to God. Um, Faith, therefore, could be described as a reach for God. In other words, it isn't so much that God proves God's self, and therefore we can have faith in God because God has done all of the work. Rather, we reach toward God and then in faith trust that we have been heard by God, that our lives are being directed by God. Um, Obviously, one requires much more faith than the other. I mean, if I uh, get on an airplane these days uh, after 9-11, 
I seldom see the pilot, and I rarely get to look into the cockpit to see the activity in there. So when I get on an airplane, I walk past the cockpit and go sit in my seat, and I have faith that there's a pilot and a co-pilot up there who are actually operating the aircraft that's taking me for my trip, and uh, I have faith that even though I can't see them, they are in command of the aircraft and they know what they're doing. And uh, periodically, they speak to me, and though I can't see them, I hear their voice saying, we'll be traveling at a speed of approximately 340 miles an hour, we'll be cruising at an altitude of 24,000 feet, and we'll arrive at our destination on time. And, uh, you know, you hear things like that, and you believe there's somebody up there, and you believe that they are in control, and... uh, and everything goes fine, and so we assume that everything is good. But then when something goes wrong, you're really hoping that there's somebody up there who knows what they're doing and is in control. And uh, in, in the same way, this is what we kind of see Abraham doing. He's, he's moving through his life, always observing uh, signs that there is activity on the part of God. Uh, if I were in the back seat of the airplane somewhere, I might look out at the wing and occasionally see the ailerons uh, tipping one way or the other. I might see the flaps extend on landing or take off, and I might see the spoilers come up. And uh, these would all be signs to me that God, uh, the pilot that is, is at work in the cockpit, even though I can't see the pilot. I see signs that the pilot is at work. And so in a very similar way, Abraham has put his faith in God. And uh, so finally, to take that analogy just one step further, and I know pilots are actually listening to this. So if I take that step, uh, one next step, if there was a moment of crisis or a time when uh, it was particularly important that we follow the instructions of the pilot, Uh, we would be very attentive. We'd be listening very carefully. We'd be anxiously waiting for the sound of the pilot's voice as uh, the bumpy weather sets in. And the pilot says, folks, it's going to be a good idea for you to put your seatbelts on and keep them tightly fastened as we travel through this rough air. And uh, we're going to be landing in stormy weather, so it's really important that... uh, that you maintain your secure positions in your uh, seats and don't get up and wander around. And uh, you might want to put those tray tables up and put your seats straight up. And and uh, just, just trust me, everything's going to be okay. It's just going to be a little bumpy. And you're listening with intense commitment to what the voice of this unseen person up in the cockpit is saying to you. And uh, that's, that's kind of what faith is like. That's kind of what Abraham's faith was like. He came to certain times in his life when he listened more intently than others, and there were times when he was just enjoying the ride. And uh, that's, that's kind of a, a, a rudimentary definition of faith. And I realize as, uh, as uh, someone who has flown frequently both in the cockpit of small airplanes and in the backseat of many large airplanes, this is easy for me to describe, but perhaps you're not so sure you know what I'm talking about. But bear with me just the same. And then as we go further along in the scripture readings from this past week, did you look at Exodus? And uh, you, you see how Moses was called out by God to fulfill God's purposes Um, we don't even know for sure that Moses was a man of faith when he first encounters God. 
Um, he was drawn to the place where God met with him because he saw something that was so strange he couldn't resist checking it out. He was just curious. And uh, you, you wonder sometimes when he was in the presence of God whether or not he really believed what he was seeing was real. And, and think about the conversation he had in Exodus where God says, hey, you know, you're on, you're on holy ground. Take off your shoes, you know. Um, there's a sense that, that Moses is not necessarily acting like someone who understands that he's in the presence of God. And there's a sense that by the questions he asks, when he says, so who am I going to tell them sent me? That maybe he is, is questioning whether this is uh, a particularly unique individual or whether this is just one of the many gods that he was raised to, uh, to believe in when he was a child in Egypt, you know. And so, it's remarkable to see how God reaches toward Moses at first. And there's a sign there of something we call prevenient grace. It's Moses being sought after by God for God's purposes, and it isn't in Moses' hands at this point. It's really about God's activity, God's movement, and the fact that God intends to use Moses to accomplish whatever God is going to. And uh, it doesn't require Moses' faith yet. But then when his faith becomes strong, he is known as the friend of God. And after his friendship with God has been established, it is a lack of faith that caused him to uh, have to suffer death before he got to enter the promised land. And so, in a really significant way, we see in Moses an example of growing faith and faith that uh, to whom much is given, much is expected from them, you know, that kind of thing. And uh, as you read forward then in the Psalms, you see that, uh, that, that there is a, a sort of testimony of faith, and that is uh, to say that there's a way that person lives that is a sign of their faith in God. It's, uh, it's the way they experience life and how that experience is different from the people around them. And that's why you referred to the letter, the letter, the book of Daniel, I should say. And you see in Daniel this willingness at all costs to be faithful to God and to, uh, to stick to the things that God has instructed him to. And um, we go on and read in the book of Romans and Galatians explanations from one of the great teachers of all time, uh, and that is the Apostle Paul, who was a Pharisee of Pharisees by his own definition. What does he tell people? He tells them that, uh, that Abraham was justified by his faith, that is to say, that uh, God blessed him because he put faith in God, and uh, God could give justification. I, I've always fascin been fascinated by this idea of justification as a term to describe the, re the, the, the thing that happens when God saves us through Jesus. It, you know, it's called justification. And since I'm kind of a word nut, I ask myself, you know, what kind of word does justification is it anyway? How does that word fit uh, our salvation? And, and the way I've always interpreted is to say, well, basically, God is accountable somehow for why God gives us a an undeserved merit, uh, that is grace, uh, uh, when God gives us credit for 
um, uh, righteousness that gives us okay, you know, a, a pass on the the uh, punishment we justly deserve. You know, if God credits us, if He credits our account and uh, cancels our debt, our sin debt. He, it's almost as though God has to give justification for that. So why did you do that, God? Well, what's fascinating is, is that there is this being that is a part of the uh, scheme of, of creation that uh, we refer to as Satan, but Satan's name is literally translated to uh, accuser, you know, and so there's a sense that... Uh, that someone is always ready to accuse God of injustice or in some way accuse God of not being everything God uh, is, is thought to be or expected to be. And so the accuser is there saying, why would you let these people get away with this? And God's justification is Jesus. Kind of fascinating. And yet what the Apostle Paul tells us is, is that in the Old Testament, God's justification for rewarding Abraham was Abraham's faith. God's justification for rewarding Daniel was Daniel's faith. God's justification for rewarding King David was King David's faith. And so there's a sense that putting your faith in God is the uh, way to get God's justification for showing you mercy and uh, showing you favor. And so God's justification for uh, saving you is Jesus Christ. And so your faith then is not in your own... Well, let me put it another way because I'm, I'm getting mixed up here. I, what I mean to say is, is that God puts justification on Jesus. And so now, rather than being justified by your faith in God, we are expected to be justified because of our faith in Jesus. And there's the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And one has much broader implications than the other. Well, it occurs to me that we have been uh, I've been talking for quite some time now and have not yet prayed. And so let's take a moment, as we rightly should, to talk to God because I have faith that God is listening. Holy God, I love you. I trust you. I know that I don't always live that way, and I know that I don't always act that way, but I believe that you know my heart, and I believe because I have seen the signs of your faithfulness, your love, your mercy, your grace, I believe that Jesus is the one who has given you justification for saving me. I believe that even though in some ways I'm still a sinner, and in some ways I'm still unrepentant, I am yet made righteous in your sight because Jesus covers my sin, because Jesus stands between me and your judgment and says, he's still a sinner, God, but I took care of it. Remember, don't punish him. And this gives me great joy. This gives me a great sense of peace.
And I know as I pray before these people and with these people that theirs are like mine. Words of thanksgiving and love for you and pleadings that you might increase our faith and our understanding. So use this broadcast for that purpose, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So faith and salvation are essentially the same thing. We are saved because we put our faith in Jesus. And this is no small feat. It is something that we do because we believe what we've been told. We believe that uh, uh, as, as people of, of the Bible, as church-going people, we have been given access to the story that you know, we believe. I mean, it's uh, it's getting close to that time of the year when all the Christmas decorations and the Christmas shows and everything are on TV, and it's getting really, really already to start look like that. But it's going to be much worse in the next couple of weeks, or much more apparent than the next couple of weeks that the Christmas season is upon us. And you know, in a world that refers to it now as the holidays, and would rather have us believe in Santa Claus than in Jesus Christ, it is important that we recognize that uh, we put our faith in little things that are almost an embarrassment to us if we think about it, and yet we find it hard to believe that Jesus is the most significant being that ever lived, the most significant human of all time, and that this holiday was in fact intended to be a commemoration of his entry into our world and our time and space. And so, when we talk about faith in the justification that comes through Jesus Christ, we're talking about the very thing that saves us. We're talking about the the thing that gives us hope that when we die, that's not all there is. The thing that gives us hope that uh, as we live, there is meaning and purpose to our existence and faith that the world will not always be this radically flawed, beautiful creation. And we take that faith and it gets applied in the way that we live. And this is where faith is most significant, because to have faith is one thing. To live in faith is another. I can, for example, believe that uh, gravity is real, but when I leap off of the roof of my house, I know that gravity is real. And so, my actions demonstrate the commitment I have in my faith. I guess if there was a better way to use that house analogy, it would be to say, I could try to believe that gravity isn't real, but jumping off the roof of my house would prove that I was wrong. So either way you want to interpret that, it comes down to the same thing. We can say that we have faith that Christ has saved us, but do we live as though we are beholden to our Savior? We've talked about this not too long ago when we talked about the lordship of Jesus. There are things that have control over our lives that are less important to us, less significant to us than the one who saves us for all eternity. And yet, we ignore or neglect 
that person's leadership in our lives. And so we claim that we have faith in Christ, but we don't live like we have faith in Christ. We claim that Christ is the most important person in our whole world, but we live as though we are the most important person in our world. And so faith is of no particular use if it's simply something that is stated or maybe even stated and and held in our minds, but yet we do nothing to demonstrate that that faith is real. Uh, It's a little bit like that thing I was saying about Satan being the accuser. In a way, Satan accuses you every day. You claim you have faith in Christ, but you live as though you don't. And so what is life in faith look like? What does a faithful life look like? Does it mean you go to church every week? Does it mean that you give money to the church? Is that what faith looks like? Or is it more? Is it, in fact, the way that you view the world? And this, I believe, is the real essence of faith. And this is the thing that let me know a long time ago that I had become a faithful believer. Now, don't think for a minute that I'm boasting in my faith. I'm simply saying that there was a time when it started to become clear to me that I no longer looked at the world the way I once did. And so, like you, I watch the news or I read the news on my iPhone or my computer screen, and I see all the ugliness in the world, but I also see it through a new lens, through the lens of faith. And in faith, I recognize that the things that are happening around me are all things that God has anticipated. And in fact, God has already described to us. In other words, my faith tells me that All the evil that's happening in the world is as expected because sin has entered the world. And so my faith informs the interpretation of things. My faith is what guides me to moral truth and causes me to say and do certain things that uh, seem offensive to those who would rather have more free will in their lives. And so faith tells me that God will judge me one day for the way that I respond to God's uh, expectations of me. And uh, in a way, I'm not supposed to judge others for the way they behave, but I am supposed to expect myself to behave the way that I should. And, you know, there's a, there's this problem as I see it in the world of Christianity is this day and age because so many Christians are much more obsessed with how others are behaving than they are with how they are behaving. And what's worse is is that they're expecting unbelievers to act like people of faith and they're judging unbelievers because their belief uh, lack of belief has not caused them to see the rightness or wrongness of their actions. And if you think about it, that's pretty absurd. It is one thing to say to others who share your faith that God expects us to behave a certain way and to treat each other in a certain way. It is another thing entirely to judge those who do not share our faith and expect them to live as we say they should. Rather, if we are people of faith, our faith informs us that our faith should be contagious, that someone should trust as I trust. And why would they do that? Well, let's put it this way. If I were faithful to my local TV weatherman 
or woman, and I was confident that they knew what they were doing and that they were competent in their weather predictions, then I might leave in the morning with my raincoat on and my umbrella and hat. And I would do this because in faith I have believed that their forecast of rain is trustworthy and true. And as I walk to the bus stop or as I walk the streets of the city on my way to the office, others will see me walking along with my umbrella and my raincoat and my hat, and they might say, you know, that guy looks like he knows it's getting ready to rain. And their faith in my faith might cause them to grab their umbrella before they go out for lunch or something. And their faith in my faith might cause them to prepare for the rain that is to come. And in the same way, our faith demonstrates to an unbelieving world that faith is in something that is trustworthy and true will be rewarded. And so in the very same way, when I put my faith in God and I live as though I have that trust in God, many times the unbelievers around me witness my faithful living and it becomes a sign to them that there is something trustworthy and true that I know that they don't know. And of course, there are those who reject my faith and reject what I believe. And honestly, if I go back to the raincoat and umbrella analogy, there is a possibility that I've put my faith in a weatherman or woman who is incompetent and therefore gives me erroneous information and therefore makes me look the fool. Or worse, I put my faith in a sportscaster who is not an expert in predicting weather, but is very good at predicting uh, the outcome of the World Series or the uh, Super Bowl or something. And my point is, is that there are times when we as Christians have put our faith in something other than God, even though we say all the things that faithful people say, we're playing at weather while we're specializing in sports. And so sometimes we make ourselves look foolish because we have not paid attention to God and have not listened to the voice of God as we should. Something to think about, isn't it? And so faith is a matter of actions as well as a matter of your heart. If you believe in your heart that God is real, then how in the world do your actions indicate that? Do you believe God is observing the things you do, the things you say? If you believe that, will it change the things you do and the things you say? If you believe that God is just and will judge rightly all humans, all creation, does it change the way you act and the things you say and the way you treat each other? If you harbor a grudge against someone and can't let it go, and God says, whatever you forgive, I forgive, and whatever you hold bound, I hold bound. And if God says that you are going to suffer because of your sin, then what does it matter what the other person's sin is if you have not taken care of your pain and your problem and your sin? See, it changes the way you look at things when you're a person of faith. And it should change the way you speak and the way you act and the value you place on things or don't. And this is where faith becomes much more than a matter of believing 
it becomes a matter of living, and it even becomes a matter of life eternal. So as we come to the conclusion of this week's study, I'd like to ask you to consider a few things. These questions are in the book, and I'd like you to hear them and then ask yourself these questions as a kind of review of today's lesson. Before you move on to the scripture readings for next week, ask yourself these questions. From Hebrews 11, verse 13, there is word of uh, faithful who have died without having received the promises, but who greeted them from a distance. And uh, that is to say that faith could be described as having a long view. So when in your life and in your observation of another's life have you seen faith demonstrated in the long view or in its quality of loyal perseverance? When have you seen someone take the long view and demonstrate faith in something that may not happen or may not be proven until long after they're gone? Have you ever been with someone of faith when they've died? Or when death is imminent. How has that been? Our lesson says that faith is as faith does. So, how then are faith and works related? I talked about that a little bit just a second ago. What do you think? How does your life's works demonstrate your faith? And what books would you say, or sermons, or habits have you seen in others that would were clearly nourished by faith? So, what have you seen in other people that demonstrates faith? Because people can say the right things. As a preacher, I can tell you all sorts of things from the pulpit, but your belief in the rightness of what I'm saying is very much determined on whether you think I believe what I'm saying. And so, in a sense, you put faith in my faith. Have you seen that in me or in others or in the things you read? Uh, When you hear, you know, of an article in Time Magazine or Newsweek that talks about Christian things or when you watch TV or the movies and you see how Hollywood has taken another crack at Christian things or biblical things and, you know, uh, how do you know when you're seeing something that was created by a person of faith versus something that was created by someone who has no real faith. I can tell you the difference. I mean, I've seen different versions of the Ten Commandments, and I can tell you that Cecil B. DeMille probably believed in the things that he portrayed in his version, but I haven't seen the same level of belief in other versions. So that's an example of, of an answer to that question, and it's my answer. It's not yours. You may disagree with me. I give you permission, but I hope you will Think critically about these things. Consider the narrowness implied in a way of salvation that is utterly dependent on Jesus the Christ. How is such narrowness justified? If faith in Christ is the source of our salvation, what does that say to those who don't believe that Jesus is other than a man who had some wise things to say about himself and the world in general? You know? Uh, one of the hardest things about being a Christian is is that if we really, really believe the Bible is true, then at some point in faith we have to say to people, I can't guarantee you salvation unless 
you put your faith in Jesus Christ. We don't like to say that to people, and we don't like the way it feels when people tell us that we're mean and judgmental because we tell them there is only one way of salvation, and that's through Jesus Christ. Even I, as a Christian teacher and preacher, have found myself trying to hedge a little bit on that one, and not in an unfaithful way, but to simply say to people, I can't guarantee you that you'll be saved without faith in Christ. I can't tell you that there are uh, there is another way of salvation. I can only tell you that I know for sure that if you put your faith in Christ, you will be saved. In other words, I have even said, rather than come right out and say, there's only one way of salvation and it's through Jesus Christ, I've even hedged a little and said, there's only one sure way of salvation, which is still technically correct, but it's also a temptation that we succumb to because we don't want to be that person who tells people, you're all going to hell if you don't believe in Jesus Christ. Well, I don't know that for sure. I only know that the only sure way to heaven is through Jesus Christ. And so then I read my scriptures so that I can be better informed and I can see that God has a uh, justification for the Jews, but it's in a different form, for example. And so I know that God is going to be just in God's judgment and a justice that is beyond my comprehension. Thank God. Well, that's about it for today's lesson on faith, and so I'd like to conclude with the prayer written by W.E. Orchard. Yep, you heard me, Orchard. Oh God, too near to be found, too simple to be conceived, too good to be believed, help us to trust, not in our knowledge of Thee, but in Thy knowledge of us, to be certain of Thee, not because we feel our thoughts of thee are true, but because we know how far thou dost transcend them. Turn us back from our voyages of thought to that which sent us forth. Teach us to trust not to cleverness or learning, but to that inward faith which can never be denied. Lead us out of confusion to simplicity. Call us back from wandering without to find thee at home within. Amen. Next week, God with us, the Holy Spirit. Lesson 17, God with us, the Holy Spirit. You'll have a set of scripture readings to to look at, which will be presented to you in the description box with this podcast. For now, I want to remind you that this is a ministry of the Shiloh United Methodist Church in Jasper, Indiana. It is an extension of their ministry given through their pastor, me, Pastor Dan. And therefore, I urge you to support Shiloh United Methodist Church. You can learn more about Shiloh by going to shilohum.org, shilohum.org. And if uh, you wish We'd love to have you join us in worship. I know that many of you listen from far away and can't come to Southwest Indiana, to Jasper, but if you are close by, we'd be glad to have you and we would welcome you. I hope that you will, in either case, communicate with me and let me know if this is a blessing to you because it means so much to hear from you. 
You can support it financially by sending a gift to Shiloh United Methodist Church and just say, this is for the podcast. Thank you very much. In the meantime, please pray for us and uh, pray for me especially so that I can continue to be faithful to God in every way. And I ask you to to not only uh, pray for us, but uh, to hear the prayers for you that come from me. I try to picture you out there listening as you go to work or as you do the various things you do. You know, I like to listen to podcasts while I'm mowing the grass or raking leaves or shoveling snow and things like that. So I try to imagine what you might be doing when you're listening to this. But I want you to know I'm praying for you. I love you. God bless you. Go in peace now to love and serve the Lord. Goodbye.